Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, the newest entry into the MCU. I am thrilled to be joined by both my Marvel correspondent, Maya. Maya, what's up? Hello. And martial arts slash kung fu movie correspondent and usual recurring guest, Daniel Lima. Daniel, thank you for being here. Pleasure to be here. So Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, as I said before, is the newest addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, who is most known for making Just Mercy and Short Term 12. It is co-written by uh, Cretton, Andrew Latham, and Dave Callahan, who you know, actually wrote a movie that Daniel and I talked about just a couple months ago, Mortal Kombat. It's it stars uh, Simu Liu as the title character, but the movie kind of uh, you know picks up with a bit of a, a flashback where we have a uh, a legendary Chinese actor Tony Lang playing uh, Zhu Wenwu who is finds the ten ring finds these ten rings that are mystical weapons and gives him immortality and great power, allowing him to conquer anywhere and everywhere for centuries. But in 1996, when he's trying to infiltrate the village of Talo that has all these mystical beasts that can help expand his power. He meets a woman named Yang Li and falls in love with her. And probably what is would you get fair to say, guys, like the sexiest fight of the uh, MCU? I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was like a like a I don't know. You're right, like a sexy dance, but like pretty at the same time. Before before I knew where it was going, I was like, oh, these people are like. It feels like there's supposed to be sexual tension here. I don't know. <laughs> is it? And like, okay, yes, that is that that, that is where we're going. That's and, why I was uh, rated PG-13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they had to be subtle. And uh, and but Yang Li's people in her village, they kind of reject Wen Wu and they end up running off together. They have two children, Shang Chi and uh, I'm saying it right, Zhao Ling, uh, who is played by Monger Zhang. When Yang Li is murdered when Shang Chi is about seven years old, that kind of sends Wen Wu back to the dark side and he puts the ten rings back on and decides to like kind of go on a bit of a rampage. And uh, he turns Shang Li into an assassin trains him to be a killer by the time he's 14 to go kill the man who was the head of the gang that murdered his mom he does so but then runs away from his dad and uh starts a new life in san francisco where we meet him in present day where he is uh working as a guy that parks cars and somehow affords i mean look i I gotta give the guy credit he's uh living in the most expensive city in the country and is somehow getting by by being a valet car parker uh so uh props to him for that he he's really good friends with a a girl named katie played by aquafina who works with him and grew up with him or to the extent that he grew up while he was in california and they uh but one day they're riding the bus and all of a sudden they get attacked and uh shang chi has to kind of reveal his true nature to katie and he kicks the butt kicks the butt of a bunch of guys who have been sent there by his father to um steal a pendant off him that his mother gave him and that kind of brings them back to china when he thinks his sister might be in danger and they end up uh encountering finding her again and it sends them on a big journey throughout the movie to that puts them at odds with their father for throughout a lot of different kind of globe trotting type things that we will talk about guys i i had been very excited about this movie for a while because uh destin cretton as i mentioned before made short term 12 one of my favorite movies i know maya had been excited for it because she's obviously a marvel aficionado and it was a big fan of simu Lou through uh kim's convenience a show that i also 
enjoyed on Netflix. So I knew we were both anticipating it. Daniel is a bit of a martial arts film scholar, as people know. Who we he he kind of like did the Kung Fu 101 episode with me last year. And but Daniel also likes Marvel movies. But Daniel, at the beginning of this year, kind of at the beginning of this summer, we saw previews for this movie. We saw them for Mortal Kombat. We saw them for Snake Eyes. And Daniel, you were rather skeptical about the Shang Chi when you first kind of saw it, and you thought uh, this might be the, the you, you felt that this this had a chance to be the worst of those three movies. And I think it's pretty easily the best. And I and as I was talking to you. Before we started, I'd, I know you didn't think this movie was unambiguously five stars, but I'm curious, uh, what led you to be skeptical of this movie in the first place, and did it surprise you in certain ways in a good way? Yeah, well, I like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in an awkward position where, like, I'm into movies. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I guess the word would be cinephile, even though it sounds kind of pretentious. I'm a cinephile, and like, you know, everyone I know who is into movies like I am, you know, this is the Marvel Universe constantly, and I think they don't give it quite enough credit as like, you know, uh, a series that in which each film informs the other, and like, I think it's narratively um, a very complicated uh, artistic uh, effort to pull off, as, you know, clearly because everyone else tries to do the MCU approach and it doesn't work. So, um, I think that there is artistic merit within the Marvel Universe. That being said, I feel like people who are super into the Marvel Universe, when I talk to them, tend to be a little uncritical about its failings. The fact that it is, at the end of the day, this, um, you know, corporate franchise intended to, you know, sell toys and shit. You know, it, it ends up kind of being a limiting factor to some of the films that they make. Don't lie, Daniel. Um, You're, you've already bought your Morris stuffed animal. Oh, uh, you know it. Oh, you know it. But um, now, going into this, I was a little skeptical because I had often, like, you know, seen, like, a trailer for a Marvel movie gone, oh, maybe this one will do the action right. Maybe this one they're going to do something a little different. And then it turns out that they're hewing closer to the formula than I thought. And I thought that the Marvel formula would be detrimental to a movie like this. Um, and as somebody who's a huge fan of martial arts cinema, I was reluctant to go in and be disappointed uh, by the prospect of a big budget martial arts movie, only to see it, you know, the opportunity get squandered. Ultimately, though, I did like this movie, and it definitely does do some things better than just about any Marvel movie that came before it. But I feel like it's also the Marvel movie that suffers the most from being a Marvel movie. And do you care to elaborate on that before I get Maya's thoughts, or do you want to? Yeah, 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 sure. I didn't know if you wanted to get her thoughts yeah. first. Well, I, yeah, well, um, you kind of let that hang out there. And I, 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 no, no, I, I, I want to hear him finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, um, this movie does so much that I wanted to see. Uh, the action is, you know, superb. There's an, you know, an actual interesting uh, relationship at the center of it between, you know, Shang-Chi and his father, played by Tony Leung. There's a lot that I appreciate in how they, uh, you know, adapt the character to screen, considering his, uh, you know, somewhat controversial comic book origins. And it he pulls a lot of influences from, uh, you know, Eastern cinema that I genuinely I don't know that I've seen a Marvel movie uh, take so many cues from, you know, other cinema before. But. It is weighed down by the, you know, the Marvel formula. It is, you know, they interrupt, the film interrupts itself in order to make these lame-ass jokes. 
Um, you know, it, it, it ends up being a chase for this mythical MacGuffin that I don't really care about, that detract from the drama of the piece. Um, there are ancillary characters that, you know, exist only to provide, I guess, comic rhythm that breaks up the dramatic rhythm of the film. Um, and then it all culminates in a third act that I found abhorrent. So I did ultimately like the movie, but not without some very large caveats. No, I think that's, I mean, it, 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 I think you're right with actually, uh, which is not common for you. I think you're actually somewhat with some of the critical critical consensus on this from what I've seen and that a lot of people really enjoyed the things you enjoyed but didn't know if it really landed in the final act, which I have some thoughts on myself, but I'm curious, and we're going to spoil this thing throughout, so you guys don't have to talk around it too much. We don't we don't, we don't don't do spoiler section for Marvel movies. People, the whole world's seeing these things. Maya, right. uh did the, did it did it live up to your expectations? And I guess I'll ask you about the ending because that's kind of where Daniel went. What did you think? Uh, what did you think as a whole and about the movie and how your boy Simu pulled it off? And did you think that the movie uh, went too CGI heavy at the end? Because I think that's been a common criticism. So first of all, I do appreciate you calling him my boy because every single <laughs> time that I've seen one of his posts, you know, talking about how you know he had a pass as an accountant, he had a pass doing all these stock photos, and you know his immediate comment was. Me looking at all the haters saying that this movie was going to suck with a stock photo of him pointing at the at the computer and laughing. That's kind of how I feel also. You know, I was very I was worried that this movie would be disappointing because I think that when you have an origin story of this caliber where it's a character that was previously not introduced to wider audiences, it was only, you know, strictly on, you know, on, on the shelves and a lot of people have been trying to make this movie for so many years, there was a lot at stake. And I think when you have, you know, a director who, you know, had previously only been doing indie films an actor who had pre- previously done only comedy two leading actors who'd done previously only comedy. And then you have, you know, like a, a magnate, like Tony Lung, you have so much coming at you that you just have to trust the process. Right. So when I came into this film, I sort of came in hoping that it wasn't going to be too nuanced for people to actually get acclimated to this origin story, because that's ultimately what it is at the end of the day. You're being introduced to this set of characters. They have no precedent in this universe, you know, previously. And the only time that it really had been mentioned was very, you know, subtly and, you know, poorly in Iron Man. So you have, you know, a reintroduction. There's a lot of, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to say, look, a a lot of um, eyes looking at this, making sure that everything is supposed to be done properly and in a way that, you know, appeals to um, the, the masses in a way. I think that while people are going to be critical of it. If I'm coming in and I've never seen a Marvel movie before, I feel like I can be, you know, interested in this universe. And I think that it, with that in mind, it did the job that it was destined to do from a, from a standpoint of somebody who, you know, likes action movies, likes Marvel movies, obviously I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought that it was an, it was a nice film. It, it, it had, you know, like a, a story about family had a story about, you know, overcoming adversity, overcoming, you know, I don't know, soul suckers. Like, there's metaphors <laughs> there, you know, it, I, you know, I, I thought, you know, from that standpoint, it did a good literary service. The, I can understand at the end with the CGI heavy that, that, you know, can be, um, you know, looked at critically, but at the end of the at the day, there's a motherfucking dragon in the Marvel universe. You guys can shut up. It's great. Okay, it's fine. 
Well, so it's funny that you say that because I don't think the ending bothered me as as much as it bothered a lot of other people too. Though I totally get where they're coming from. My thing was that one, I I agree with Daniel. I thought the ac- action was pretty superb, and that like you know, I, Daniel is like much more a student of action films than I am. And you know, like I feel like I, I so last year on New Year's Eve, my I spent New Year's Eve watching The Bourne Supremacy with Daniel, and uh, I never the, the, seen the, those movies are they good? Uh, varying they vary. Uh, and th- this was the Jeremy Renner one, like after Matt Damon, after the Matt Damon movies, b- b- before Jason Bourne, the one that he came back for, that was honestly even worse than, uh, the Bourne supremacy. Uh, but like, legacy, I just, legacy, I oh shoot. Right, right. Yeah. Bourne le- legacy. the second one. I was going to say uh, supremacy. I'm pretty sure that's like Matt Damon-esque. Look, the, 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 they're not great names for movies. They can't blame me if I mix them up. They're all all just um, weird nouns. Um, but like, uh, like I, I think I liked the movie like 50% less because I had Daniel right there by me to like critique all the action. So I'm never, I'm not necessarily going to be like as critical of action in movies as Daniel was, but I'm at the same. So I'm like kind of worried. Am I going to be able to tell? If the action in this movie is uh, considerably better than uh, than anything that came before it, and it was like incredibly apparent that it was, and so I was very pleased with that. And you know, I thought it was really actually kind of. I mean, I guess yeah, it's probably all like on green screens in Atlanta or something like that. But I thought the uh, Talo was actually like really really interesting looking, and you you can pull something like that off uh, without you know. You, you can pull something like that off with green screens and still like like Wakanda. Wakanda, not a real place, you know, and I thought visually it felt distinct enough from that that it was really cool. And my thing was, yes, I might prefer uh, I might have preferred a, I think maybe a slightly different ending might have worked a little better where, you know, uh, you had Shang-Chi and Wenwu going at it a little more directly than they do instead of having it come down to some dragons. But at the same time, for some reason, my head went to like, OK, if you're going to have CGI. This is kind of like a way that I might prefer it in that like in my head, I'm comparing it to like the DC movies and how like that just felt like very dark and all these like, you know, uh, amorphous villains that all kind of blur together and are just like shooting random beams out of each other. I'm like, at least give me some weird looking dragons, a weird looking lion and some like uh, little cute cuddly animals to like look at. If that's the CGI world you're going to create, at least that felt kind of unique to me. And I I was like. You know, what bothered me almost more than the dragon itself was that, like, someone that learned how to shoot a bow and arrow, like, 12 hours before was the one to give it the kill shot. That did bother me. That did actually bother me. uh, Look, I'll I'll, I'll get to that in a bit. I'll get to the the, the ending in a bit because I have thoughts on all that uh, from the effects work itself to the the fact that, you know, Aquafina learns how to shoot an arrow in a day. But – now, as for the action, though, um, I want to point out that, you know, the action, the second unit director was, you know, Brad Allen um, and the uh, fight coordinator was Andy Cheng, who both were, you know, uh, on the Jackie Chan stunt team um, back in the 90s and have gone on to do, you know, a bunch of other stuff. I mean, like uh, Brad Allen is probably most known for being the action designer, stunt coordinator on the Kingsman movies, which for all their failings are great. act. You know, they, they boast some great action. And um, Andy Chang, I, I'm trying to think what he's done, but he's one of those guys have been around, right? Um, and I think that like that influence does clearly show. Certainly in that first action set piece, the bus scene. Um, well, I guess second action set piece. Because the first one is the um, is the 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 fight in the forest that you guys were talking about. That was so coded romantically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pulling from both. All, all these fights are pulling from a lot of different influences. Um, that fight in particular, uh, the first fight, um, is pulling from clearly like Yen Wu Ping, 
uh, who's a you know legendary action uh, action guy. You know, um, he's the one who did the action for the Matrix. You know, lots of extensive wire wire work during the fights makes everything seem very floaty and dreamlike, uh, almost operatic, like a dance. You know, uh, it's a style that I don't generally tend to like myself, but like you know, it clearly has a uh, a clear vision for the action, which I think a lot of the Marvel movies do kind of fail at that. Um, the f- bus fight, you know, it has clearly the comic rhythms of a of a Jackie Chan fight where, you know, you get an action, a reaction. Uh, you use, know, of, you, use of in other objects that aren't Other objects are incorporated into the action. The environment is brought in as its own character. A lot of the action is shot. Uh, I, I, I want to say that this is a very Yen Wuping influence. It's shot from a wide angle lens, uh, really close, which, again, not... I don't tend to be a fan, but honestly would say that this movie does that style better than uh, a lot of the end whooping movies I've seen. Um, you know, you've got like fights on like, you know, uh, uh, bamboo scaffolding, which is a, you know, that's a Kung Fu classic. That's some shit that goes back to like the Shaw Brother days, early 70s. You know what I'm saying? Like, clearly, it's something that owes a great deal to uh, Hong Kong cinema and incorporating that into a American Western, uh, you know, martial arts blockbuster um was something that was very exciting for me to see it offers this film something different than like you know snake eyes and mortal Kombat provided which is actually good action um i think that's partially why i was so disappointed by the third act um because after all this you know very superb grounded action set pieces you ultimately and which you know give this film part of its like identity a strong a big part of its identity uh you end it with a cgi struggle between this amorphous dark being that you learned about a half hour ago um when the you know when the primary driver of the conflict has been this relationship between uh, shang chi and his father which has been far more interesting than uh most of the relationships between hero and villain in all these movies. Uh, that's that's fair. Have... So let me let me ask you then, because I've heard that I've heard that same point a lot, and I again I, I do think there's some merit to it. What is your like favorite ending for a Marvel movie? As far as when you think kind of gets it right, because I know you do like some of these movies. So I'm wondering. Like, I like one... most. Here's the thing. I like including this. I want to be clear. I do like. Yeah, this. yeah, yeah. What's one you think kind of um, nails the ending in in that regard, as far as like you know keeping uh, focusing on the characters in the right way through the end in a way in. And because I mean, I can't say it gets the action better because I know you like the action in this probably better than most. But is there one that like kind of ties it up better in a way that you think is a direction maybe this movie should have gone? Um, truthfully, I think back a lot to the ending of Civil War specifically, right? Because that's a film that like you know it, it respond that film exists as like a response to a lot of the criticism for Marvel. Um, you know, everyone was complaining about how these third acts always end with all this needless to wanton destruction that the heroes are never accountable for, for this film actually does make that accountable for them you know instead of having the big action set piece being you know at the end of the book ending the film it's in the middle of the movie and instead the final fight is this very personal uh slugfest between tony stark and captain america and uh and, and the winter soldier and like it's you know that uh, it's a genuinely that fight is also notable for being a well-directed uh, fight right. scene where like you know you can clearly see the action you're incorporating the 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 abilities of the you know the the fighters into the action very directly 
Um, it's clearly, I think, I would think it's fair to say it's inspired by the ending fight of the raid. You know, that's a movie that I think does thematically um, tie things together ultimately in its climax uh, the way that I would want have wanted to see it here. Here it ultimately ends in this kind of, I'm, I'm sorry, I hate to say it, knock off Wakanda. Um, <laughs> it, it is, I, I've never been, I, honestly, people give the Black Panther movie, I think, a little more credit than it earns in its world building. Uh, I never felt Wakanda as a real place where people live. Uh, you know, it just seemed to me like a CGI mess. Um, and I don't, and I think this kind of uh, the the tallow village, which you know incorporates all these mythical elements from Chinese mythology, um, I think that also falls a little short of the mark of making it feel like a real living place. To give you some context for Daniel's feelings about Black Panther, Maya, he he is of the opinion that the best superhero movie of 2018 was Samson. So, uh, <laughs> so he, he he doesn't exactly go with the popular opinion on these things. Yeah, it just edges it out. And, and you know what? I am completely. I, I'm gonna say, like, coming from like a standpoint of like, I read comics as a kid. I feel like you have to like embody yourself in the world, like the second that you step in. But if they're able to escalate it in a way where you feel like it feels natural to you, then I feel like they can do whatever they need to do in order to engulf you into their universe. And I think that. With, with Shang-Chi, like the the problem that they had is that they're introducing somebody who, you know, it's introducing a new character in a world that's already been built for so many people, right? How are you able to, and, and then this is where I'm going to respectfully disagree. How are you able to do that, you know, in a way where, and I see what you mean, that it's very abrupt. Um, and I can understand that. But I think that if you were going to spend a lot more time on Talo, it would feel very forced. Oh, I, I apologize. I apologize. I didn't mean to say that the introduction of Talo was too sudden. No, uh, I'm talking about the mythos and everything with the dragons and you know the character that is introduced oh, in the last I, I, 30 I don't minutes. Even necessarily, I don't necessarily even mean that. What I mean to say though is, um, when it comes to the the actual conflict, the actual conflict, you know, for the majority of the movie is, you know, uh, uh, between Tony Lung and and Simu Simu Liu. Am I pronouncing his name right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, that's a relationship that offers a depth to the movie that I think a lot of the Marvel movies, you know, honestly lack in like, you know, how the personal how deep the personal relationships run. Um, it adds a lot of context to, you know, lose character, which, you know, is necessary because I'm not going to lie. I think that he's by far like the worst performer in this movie. Uh, Simu? Yeah, I just I don't I don't. Buy, he seems like a guy they grabbed off the street. He nails all the action beats. But um, he just seemed and I, I realized that the character is also like supposed to be this sort of every man, quote unquote. But no, I just don't buy him for a second. Every time oh, he speaks man. Uh, in anything, anytime he speaks, I'm sort of like, oh, it's just a guy who can't act, you know. Oh, no. But maybe maybe he works better in a sitcom for sure. But like he just, I just don't ever quite buy. Oh, no, I was impressed with him. Unusual. I, I fair enough, but like I mean, most Maya of and I are like trying to like him because we like his other show, I guess. Exactly. But, like, I, I guess I, I guess I was pleasantly surprised because I thought he was good in the scenes with Tony Ling, and I, and I and I and I and I, I thought I, that Lung has to carry him. I thought that Lung had okay. to carry him dramatically. Well, I mean, he's, he's he's yeah. Well, Tony's like the best actor in the movie, pretty clearly, and that's like he's yeah. bringing so much so much charisma to that role, and like in a way that's so impressive. And like I, you know, I, it caught me off guard because I'd only seen that guy in like the few Wong Kar Wai movies I've seen. And uh, <laughs> I've it, seen it, him in actually a decent uh, more stuff than I expected. I forgot that he's like the star of uh, everything. Of the the grand the Grandmaster, the Ip Man movie from 2013, which was also, if I'm not mistaken, a uh, a movie by. Uh, 
uh, Wong Kar Wai. Um, I didn't like that movie either. But um, what was I saying? So, well, so uh, what, what do you, what, what do you, so, you, but, so even though you didn't love Simu, you still really thought the movie handled the family yes, dynamics up pretty the well. Relationship between, and, and honestly, Shang-Chi himself, I think there's, the movie leaves a lot on the cutting room floor there. I'll get to that in a moment. But um, their relationship is clearly like the heart of the movie. It's clearly the heart of this, the arc of this character. You know, he's a character who has been running away from this life that he led, you know, uh, you know, that, that he was brought up in this world. And now this is him trying to reckon with his past. And like, that's the driving force, the emotional driving force of the movie. And it would make sense for in the end, you know, that would be that final conflict. Instead, what happens is you introduce this otherworldly presence, you know, that bloody, bloody, blah, another vague sort of like, ill-defined force of evil that's going to come into this world unless we stop it and then you know uh the dad dies like i, I like, totally like disagree a punk. With he goes you. out like a punk too he goes out <laughs> and ultimately ends up being oh no that wasn't the real threat we have to face the real threat we have to face is this this monster thing and then you know outside of the fact that you you know then abandon the grounded action for a sort of cgi mess it's well it's well-made CGI. It looks good, but also I'm staring at the sc- I was staring at the screen, going, "I don't care. I've stopped caring." The guy who has been the um, the emotional crux of this movie has died, is gone, and now it's just, oh, well, he, well, the hero who's been confirmed to be in the next Avengers movie prevail against the disembodied, ill-defined evil. Of course he will. So. I, you know, I'm and then you, going, yeah, I'm going to argue. Well, Maya, Maya, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, well, Maya, what, what, what about the Dweller in Darkness uh, worked for you? In the it's, soul not, it's not so, that it worked for me. It's that it's a conduit for their relationship. It's just done in a bigger way. Like if you really think about it and you kind of piece it apart that, you know, the relationship between, you know, um, I'm going to say, you know, Shang-Chi's father's, I'm going to say quest for, you know, piecing together his family. He even said that he lost his way after his wife died and his wife kind of made him whole. And, you know, they, he loses his way. He, you know, continues to amass the 10 rings and his entire life is trying to have a, a thirst for power. And that is what is his end. It's not, you know, remembering what really brought him, you know, to a more grounded space. And that's sort of, to me, that's what that fight embodied. I mean, obviously, yes, you, you know, with a CGI clusterfuck, but I, I think that essentially that it has to do with, you know, man's worst enemy is himself. And I think that, you know, if you're trying to be constantly getting everything that you want, I mean, like, and we see this time and time again, that a movie says, you know, the three things that you can't bring back with all these wishes is you can't have true love. You can't bring back the dead. You know, it's, it comes to fruition again. And versus listening to his family, who's trying to tell him, you know, hey, continue to, you know, I'm going to say, like, meet us in the middle, see us, see what we're trying to say. He instead thinks that he has the ability to embody everything. You know, that's the that's the I'm going to say the darkness of the Ten Rings, the darkness of the mythos. But when you really think about it, you kind of piece it apart. It's at the end of the day, he ends up realizing when, you know, his son is right, he hands him the 10 rings. He hands him the one thing that he never wanted to part with because, you know, for a thousand years he didn't. And I I think that while I understand what you're saying, I, I took it very much as a metaphor and, you know, a way to kind of bring the oh shit test, you know, to light and really like get people 
who are for the most part, not going to be as analytical, kind of just like, I'm going to say clamoring for the hero to win. Um, I agree with you with all this stuff about like, you know, what the movie is thematically about, what the final conflict is ultimately about. What I'm saying is that you can address all of that without a big CGI monster. You already have Tony Lung. You already have Simu Lu. You already have established their relationship. You already have great action that people who aren't very analytical, you know, can follow and understand. You don't need the big monster. I would argue that that detracts from the relationship because uh, or the, you know what the movie is supposed to be about because the last 10 minutes they stop being you know metaphorically textually about the conflict of the movie they, or, or the you know the, the thematic conflict of the movie it ends up being how will our hero stop the big cgi monster yeah oh, but that's, that's the that's the theme of marvel like well, how so is our hero gonna it doesn't stop have, the big what i'm saying is that that's and that's where i'm saying that this is a movie that suffers the most from being a Marvel movie. I think a lot of past Marvel movies, they work within the formula and use the formula in a very interesting way uh, where, you know, each film informs another, um, each film like Civil War being uh, a prime example of a film that, you know, could not exist without the uh, without the films previous to it. I mean, Spider-Man Homecoming, people criticize uh, the MCU Spider-Man as like, you know, Iron uh, uh, Iron Boy Jr. or something like that, because, you know, they, you know, he's so reliant on Tony Stark for everything, as opposed to like previous iterations of the character where, you know, he's very independent. But I feel like in a world where Tony Stark exists and he is the first superhero that everyone knew about, it makes sense for a kid with superpowers to aspire to be that. That's, I think, a smart way to work within the formula and the world of the Marvel Universe here. I think the need to have that, that that expectation of like, well, of course it's going to have like a big monster CGI fight in the end of the movie. No, it doesn't. If this movie were made for $60 million and it had all, you could have all those great fights, you know, you could have all this action, you could have the depth of character, you could have this, uh, this theme about, um, you know, letting go of the past and like, you know, dealing with the, the, the ghost of your past. You could have all of that without the big monster you don't well, so need I, the monster and well, so i guess my i guess my question for you then is what is that second half what does that last third of the movie look like aesthetically to you then without that like do you still think do you think should they do away with talo totally no uh, no I, I don't i don't believe that but what i'm saying is in execution it does yeah, yeah, step yeah. on its own toes i'm not arguing like that i have the exact answer for you know yeah. how this is supposed to but what i'm saying is that the way that it was executed i got um, you is it leaves me wanting i think that it does degradate like what came before it the good that came before yeah no i hear you but i think i think we all agree that like when will might be like the single best part of the movie as a character and as a performance and what is motivating him throughout is like you know, thinking that his wife might still be out there somewhere and is calling to him from this from this particular dark realm that, you know, tricks people that way. And so I guess regardless, if you wanted him to be motivated by something like that, because I think that is part of what makes him so compelling is that he has more he has he has more. I don't want to say innocent or I don't in, in a, relatable. I'm he has a relatable goal. Sure. Relatable and understandable or somewhat like not totally driven by malice type of motivation you know and that's what makes him kind of compelling and it, that comes from this like this dark place that is supposed to have yeah you know, what i'm something, saying is something that, that poses example, a threat for example like you know like if you i'm not a writer or anything but like you could have that 
and just have that. Yeah, you could just have that and then just not end with the big monster. He and he fights his son, realizes in the course of this. Like like he he never opens the thing. You know, they fight before it ever gets open. It okay. never opens a thing, you know. You could, I mean, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. That's take- too rational, though. I like. I, I see what you mean, but to me, that's too rational. Because if you're if you're having you know that kind of a, a conflict, and and like, don't get me wrong, they introduce you know the the big bad in a very abrupt way that doesn't lend itself to um, anything surrounded that that you really want to care about. That's why they kill it at the end. You know, it's it's the whole point to me is. Showing that Shang-Chi has the ability to, you know, embrace both sides of himself. And, you know, because of that, he becomes this, you know, all-powerful, you know, mythical being that, you know, will lend itself to, exactly as you said, toys and merchandise and, you know, future movies and stuff. But I think that without that element, that would not be possible. I don't buy that. I don't buy that you need the CGI monster because I've seen plenty of movies, plenty of action movies, plenty of kung fu movies, martial arts movies in which there is like a, uh, you know, a personal relationship between hero and villain. And at the end of the day, the hero prevails. The villain, you know, learns something before their death. And shit, I mean, I don't even like Kill Bill. Kill Bill does it. And that's like some Western ripoff. You, know you what don't I, like Kill Bill? I don't really like Kill Bill, honestly. I think that it, I mean, that's person, like, I just think that it, it it's too much of a ripoff. It owes too much. He, to, he, without, know, he, know, he knows the stuff that inspired it too well, you know? Yeah, I guess. Uh, um, you know, maybe it, deserves a re, maybe it deserves a rewatch, you know, but like, yeah. But what I mean to say is that, like, I understand what you're trying to argue, but like, it just, I, it doesn't track to me that like, you know, you needed, you know, a 60 million or 100 million dollar effects budget in order to tell this emotional story uh, or land this beat. No, it's not the emotional story part that you're 100 percent right could have been told in that way. But you have to remember where we are and what we're dealing with. We're dealing with, you know, something that ends up becoming, you know, a, a universal conflict. You know, what brings us to that point? It's not going to be a father son, you know, battle. That's that's what I'm trying to say. What do you guys say to the argument that like you got to do something big to like get Shang Chi on Shang Chi on the level of like a hero that's gonna like be you know uh, you're gonna buy as one of the Avengers which is that's where the, what I'm saying. Where, where exactly. the Black, I mean, Black Widow was an Avenger and her superpower was that she shot guns. So I don't really I don't really buy that yeah. either. Um, Touche. Yeah, her superpower was that she mm-hmm. shot guns really well. You know, I, I think it's a comic book movie. Like we would have if you put him in a room with Ironheart, I think we would all bought it. Um, yeah, why not? He's really good at kung fu. Sure. I mean, shit, he's in the Avengers in the comics. He doesn't wield the Ten Rings there. He just fights really good. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, like, this is where I think that, like I said, like the, the Marvel Universe, the need to be this, a part of this larger whole in which we have all these sort of expectations for what each movie is supposed to do, the beats it's supposed to land, it steps on the toes of the story this film is trying to tell. Another way is actually, you mentioned something about uh, darkness. I think that actually is a part of the why I I, I was left a, just a, a hair cold on the movie. Um, I think that this movie references uh, or alludes to a lot of darkness within these characters that it ultimately leaves unexplored. I think the best example of this would be Shang Chi's origin story from when he was a teenager. Um, at first, he tells Aquafina that he was sent on a mission to kill the woman, the man who killed his mother when he was fourteen. At first, he tells her that he didn't go through with it. Then toward the end of the movie, he reveals that he actually did go through with it and that he's going to kill his dad. 
And I'm like, okay, that's an interesting conflict. But the way that inner conflict plays out, I found incredibly wanting, uh, just on a filmmaking level. First off, when he, when he t- relates this story to her on the plane at first, there is no flashback to the scene where he chooses not to go through with the hit. That's fine, whatever. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense because like there's a flashback for all the rest of the story, but mm-hmm. whatever, fine. Um, then we get to him revealing that he did go through with it. But it's told just through dialogue in this one little scene, and it's never referenced again. The fact that he willingly ended the life of another human being. That's very dark for a Marvel movie, sure. But it doesn't contend with that darkness. I think of like the Kung Fu movies that I've seen in the past in which a hero, a hero relates some dark deed that they did. They would show that shit. They would show you exactly what the hero did. They'd show you the expression on his face as he did it. They'd show you the moment of realization. This movie doesn't want to do that because at the end of the day, they got to sell some Shang-Chi toys to toddlers. You know, <laughs> Yeah, you got to sell toys to kids. So, of course, you're not going to contend with the fact that your hero was a murderer. And then it's never picked up on again. Uh, ultimately, he chooses not to go through with the plan to kill his dad. Um, we're not really sure what changes. I think they're like toward the end, like he like I guess remembers his mother's fighting style or something. Honestly, that fight in particular, that final fight with his dad, it escapes me because it was immediately followed by like a twenty minute fight with a CGI dragon that I didn't give a shit about. So yeah, I do think that like there's a lot of uh, darkness to the story that you know is kind of left unexplored because you know at the end of the day, these movies do have to be a little bit sanitized. Uh, for the masses, or at least there's there's felt to be a need to sanitize it for the masses when I don't think there necessarily is. I, I think also the masses and also the MPAA, because I think that is exactly what you're saying. If you have like a, a you know, a, and someone who kids are supposed to look up to, you can't have them, you know, kill on screen. The same exact reason why in Disney movies, when somebody dies, you know, it's like I'm talking about like the cartoon movies. It's implied that they die and you never see blood. Yeah, perhaps uh, it comes down to MPAA ratings, but like. You know, that goes into the same point, really. By the way, side note, I, I'm sorry. I was just scrolling through the Tony Lung IMDb, and I just realized he's also in Gorgeous, the Brad Allen. Yeah, I, thought, I, thought that, I thought that was part of why you were telling me to watch it. I just knew that Brad Allen was in it, honestly. But anyways, uh, yes, um, perhaps it comes down to ratings, but ultimately that ends up being the same problem, that at the end of the day, these are, you know, kind of cogs in a machine uh, rather than, uh, you know, just entirely their own artistic work that it can exist in their own space. It, it acts as a bit of a weight. And I, it's a little sad for me to see because I do like the MCU. I do like these movies. And I want to believe that they've earned the cachet to like feel like they could take some risks. And when I see this and I see so how much they've, you know, addressed some of the concerns, you know, people have said that like, oh, well, Brad Allen is the reason why the action in this movie is great. Not really, because, you know, all these past people who worked on the action, Sam Hargrave, for example, these are all people who know how to direct action. They know what makes a good fight scene. Uh, They know what makes a good action set piece. They're just, you know, overruled because of the nature of Hollywood filmmaking, studio filmmaking today. They know what they're doing. They're just not allowed. So this movie I see less as like a triumph in hiring the right people on that level and more as, you know, the Marvel, you know, the, the Marvel Studios realizing that if they're going to tell a story about a kung fu master, he, you've got to have good action. So I see this movie as a bit of a response to criticism of the universe, which is it shows a ability for the, you know, for these movies and these these TV shows to grow. 
And yet, right. it, you know, it's one step forward, two steps back. Because it also steps on its own toes by hewing to the formula too closely. Well, okay. Well, now I feel like I've like made you go down the negative path too much when you did say you did like the movie. So I'm going to ask you guys about some positive stuff too. Uh, okay. Though I appreciate the back and forth and all the insight you have both provided. I, I want to talk a little bit about some of these other characters. We, because um, I think I think we both agree that like it seems like we're all in agreement that the family part of this story was good. And I think one thing that was impressive was that yeah, it, the, the movie does try and do a lot of stuff, but it's still. It's you know, it's it's still like two hours and like less than two hours and 10 minutes when you take out the credits. And I think it still, you know, accomplishes a lot with that and is able to uh, do some stuff with some of these secondary characters beyond Wen Wu and Shang-Chi. Uh, Maya, what did you think about like how through those flashbacks they were they were able to give you a, a decent sense of who Ying Li was played by Fala Chen? And also I thought gave a pretty decent arc to Zhu Zhe-Ling too, um, Shang-Chi's sister. How did you think the rest of the family was filled out? I, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head exactly what I was going to say that they to me, like if you're going to be, you know, creating like a narrative, um, I'm going to say response to a, a backstory in order to create, you know, an, an eventual supervillain. That's how you do it. Honestly, I, I, I thought that yeah, you understood why he would miss her that much. I guess Exactly. Exactly. And, and I and I like I said, I, I personally just. I believe that when it comes to storytelling, you have to give, you know, enough. You don't have to give too much, have people, you know, create the narrative for themselves or just go read the source material, you know. But when it comes to, I, I'm going to say the the focus in particular was the dynamic between Songshi and his father. Um, his sister, you know, I'm going to say intentionally gets slated um, because that gives her a response to then take over the Ten Rings and then to exact revenge, however we, we find it. You know, that, I think that in any case, and it comes down to the, the costume design because everybody is wearing, you know, red um, uniforms and she's wearing a white uniform. So there is, to me, that was an indication that she was going to end up becoming, um, you know, a foil character for Shang-Chi at the end of the movie. And I, I, like I said, I just, when you're given nothing for context, you have a lot of uphill climb. And I think that, you know, they did their, their best. And I, I will revert back to the fact that I said, like, if I came into this movie, not knowing anything about the Marvel universe, I would want to learn more. It's just, to me, it was a good, you know, solid film from start to finish um, that, you know, provided enough for me to, want to delve in deeper into that universe yeah it did a good job of like not referencing other stuff too much which i think is something black panther did pretty well too in that like you know my parents like black panther i don't know if they're going to see this movie i did just get them to start watching kim's convenience maybe that'll make them want to but like they i mean th th they went to black panther and they don't watch other marvel movies for the most part and so i think a lot of people could have a similar experience with this uh daniel what did you think about you know, uh, it's it's obviously you made it clear that you liked the rest of the movie other than the final third. Uh, what else did you think it did really well uh, before that point beyond just like an incredible performance from Tony Lang? You know, you say that. And now I'm starting to wonder, how much did I like this movie? Oh, my because God. We're, we're, we're I, talking I, to you. I, God, I can't believe we're letting you like talk yourself out of it. Yeah, because, <laughs> look, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, that relationship is most of the screen time of the movie is devoted to that. I do like uh, Xu Xia Ling. Um, I, I cannot pronounce the actress's name. Uh, Meng Zhang. 
Um, she I, know, I, is- I, I looked it up on YouTube beforehand because I, I listened to a few other podcasts myself and I was like, okay. look, sometimes I kind of yada yada the names of a lot of the Asian people because and I feel awful about it, but it's just really, really hard to remember them because like sure. we haven't seen these people on other stuff. I'm like, I'm going to get this. So I went on YouTube and like clicked on five different interviews before I found an interviewer that actually like introduced her by name. It is Mon, like M-A, like M- it's like Mon, like as in like, not man, but Mon, Mon Gerzen. So, Monger Zhang. That is yes, Monger Zhang. I got that. I, I specifically looked yeah. that up. So, I'm like, we're we're not going to be one of these podcasts that just like Mariat <laughs> is the Asian names. We could be better than that at the rewind. No, there we go, Monger Zhang. She uh she's good. Um, but I feel like the character is very much underserved by the film. You know, she exists in relation no, to. Though it's dad. a plot point that her dad specifically treated her that way. That that's exactly what I was trying to say. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it is a plot point, but she's also given no personality beyond that. Um, she exists purely as a shadow of her dad and her brother. Um, And, you know, after the confrontation with her in Macau, she, you know, falls into the background, um, doesn't really have that much to do, and then ends with, like, this kind of, like, uh, I mean, I I don't know how to put it, but it feels like a very corporate girl boss energy, like, oh, she took over the the Ten Rings, what's she going to do with it? You know, I honestly, you didn't do much with this character I see why you would get that vibe, but it made me excited for, like, how they could, like, even if she's not going to have her own movie, how that could play a factor in another MCU film or something. I guess that doesn't doesn't help me with how I feel about her in this movie. Well, I'm I'm going to disagree with you again because they even talk about the fact that at 16 years old, she leaves and then she starts her own fucking fight club. Yeah, that was a a dialogue scene, and it's meant to show you that, like, yeah, she's an independent woman, blah, blah, blah. That that was established by the fact that we met her in Macau and she had already set up this, you know, uh, this uh, organization outside of her father's influence. Um, This is just that scene was just reiterating that and then nothing for the next hour, hour and a half. So. I don't know. Well, like I was, I was taking too... in information, taking in like a nugget at a time in order to build her defense later. She just proves, you know, to everybody that she's not someone to be underestimated. That she falls into the the background. I think that that is done intentionally so you forget about her. And uh, then at the end of the movie, she comes out and she's just like, "Yeah, I just took over the ten fucking rings. What are you gonna do about it?" I mean, I, I think. I, I, you know, I don't want to disabuse anybody of, you know, relating to this character or anything. I just, it does ring to me like, um, you remember ring. my ha, criticism ha, ha. of, huh? I said ring. Ha, 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 ha. No, no, no. Um, um, uh, Sicario. Um, oh, Sicario, yeah. Sicario is a We're not doing where this again. We're not doing this again. The main character, Emily Blunt, is, you know, kind of pushed to the wayside. And I feel like people give that film more credit than it deserves. They say, they argue Incred- that, oh, an incredible this movie. Is because this is because... Sicario. That's a movie. It, 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 it's 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 showing how women are relegated to the wayside and like these sorts of cinema and these action, you know, crime movies. And I'm like, hmm, if this movie was directed by anyone else, if this was a direct-to-video movie directed by um, Jesse V. Johnson, you would not be saying that. You would just be saying, yeah, this is another example of women being relegated to the back of the, you know, like I do think that this is one of those things where like, like you know. People will give this movie more credit for that than it maybe deserves. It was a movie ultimately written by three dudes. Uh, maybe just I, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to actually go for something. That, so Josh recommended that I watch Short Term 12, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a point to this. I think, and, and I come from 
a writing background. I come from a theater background that when you have a, a character that, you know, you put to the side that is supposed to be a main character that has to be done intentionally, that that's not, you know, people just don't do that by mistake because, you know, there's some characters that are absolutely disposable, but there's a, a narrative character of the messenger, um, you know, someone who's coming to, you know, provide information and that information is going to basically, you know, lay down the rest of the, the movie. And I think that, you know, she she does this. But I also notice in short term 12 that he uses characters and he places them intentionally to call back to them in the future. And he and this is just what Destin Daniel Cretton does. And I think that um, even though you, you can argue that, yes, they're relegating, you know, a female character to the wayside in order to prove that she you know doesn't have to prove anything to anybody because she's a badass bitch. Sure. But I think that he's doing this, laying the groundwork for future films, which will also reevaluate the importance of family, the importance of, you know, you know, society, culture and, you know, kind of rounding that out. I, I think that it is done intentionally to give her a greater arc in the future. I would say if that I, the case I will I will commend them in the future. But for now, I, I mean, I, it just didn't give me much. That's fair. Yeah, I guess I, you know. You know what I would say is that I think you actually probably do get a better idea of who of of who his aunt is. I mean, it's 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 not even this that she's played by Michelle Yeoh, but like I do think like she probably does get the show even more personality uh, than than his sister does. And the, the, I mean, the mom might even too in that first scene. Whereas like I, I might have gotten a little more out of her than Daniel, but I can I can understand that maybe the other the other female characters might have like you know brought brought a little bit more to the table personality wise. Though I just I enjoyed seeing her kick ass, and I thought that's fine too. Uh, oh, no, don't get me wrong. Again, I will uh, forgive a lot in a movie if it has good action. And the fact is she brought the goods. This wasn't even an actress, as far as I know, who knew martial arts before, you know, signing on to this role. Um, and she handles herself very well. What, what, what about uh, Maya? What about Trevor Slattery? Were you happy to see Trevor? <laughs> I... So anything that Ben Kingsley say, I like, um, but I like just like his his bombastic foolery, and he just he's done, doing it with like a shaky. It reminds me honestly of like I'm gonna say this, and I'm so sorry, a poor man's Ian McKellen, um, because he's just kind of like wandering around aimlessly, and he's translating for this you know like amorphous like bird pig. Um, and he brings such a funny, like to me, like the comedic element that he brings, I enjoyed it in Iron Man 2. It was probably the only thing that I enjoyed. Uh, sorry, three. Three. Um, yes, yes. I got, sorry, I got myself at the end. He was probably one of the only things about Iron Man 3 that I actually enjoyed. Not for any other reason except for it's Ben Kingsley in a Marvel movie acting like a poor man's Ian McKellen. That's, that is, to me, that's it. That's the tweet. <laughs> I mean, did, 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 had you seen Iron Man 3 enough recently that that did anything for you one way or the other, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I saw Iron Man 3 when I rewatched the entire thing in preparation for Endgame. Iron Man 3 is definitely, for me, one of the best Marvel movies. Uh, <laughs> it is definitely— I, I, I told you he has unconventional opinions, Mike. It is a movie that, like, fully—it's it, one of the, you know, Marvel movies that does feel like its own—it has its own clear vision— outside of the marvel universe but it also we were i mean it also uses the elements of the marvel universe in order to tell this very interesting insular story i think that it's very much through and through a shane black movie you can tell that i mean i think it has one of the best action scenes outside of shang chi uh, there's like this one scene where like you know he's trapped by the villains and he calls his armor to him but it's coming back little bit by bit and it's genuinely it's one of the 
best action set pieces within the franchise. Um, and I do like the Mandarin twist within that movie. Um, I think that's a clever sort of like reworking of the comic lore uh, into something that's unexpected, but, you know, fun. Uh, it makes a certain sort of sense for, you know, the specter of the Mandarin to be used, like, you know, this kind of, you know, vague yellow peril figure, you know, from the 60s being reworked in a modern context as like a, a smokescreen for another evil white guy. It, it makes a certain sort of sense to me. Um, here, the moment I saw Trevor, I was I laughed because, you know, that's funny. Um, and like, you know, I remember seeing the all hail the King short, um, where like, you know, they break him out of prison. Like I've seen most of the Marvel stuff. The only Marvel thing I haven't seen to be clear is a runaway show on Hulu and, uh, the Inhumans beyond that. I've seen everything. I've seen fucking cloak and dagger. You know what I mean? Like I've seen it all, but anyways, I saw, I laughed the moment I saw Ben Kingsley and then a minute wore on and then two minutes wore on and I fucking hated him. (laughs) Um, I I think that, and again, this is another element, like, you know, we need the comic relief, we need to break up the drama with like this, you know, but I don't think you really need to. I think we would have all enjoyed this movie just fine without Ben Kingsley translating like a Hundun, uh, which is the mythical creature that Morris is. Um, it, 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 It was wholly unnecessary, it detracts from the drama, it detracts from the action. He adds very little outside of comedy. The comedy isn't really that funny. Every joke. So uh, you didn't laugh at the Planet of the Apes joke. That was like one of the funniest. I okay, the yeah, I that one. That one was funny, but it wasn't worth the character <laughs> to be there, honestly. Um, there, actually, uh, this wasn't Ben Kingsley related, but um, the, there's a moment in the plane where you know Wang Changchi is relating his story to uh, Aquafina, and it's interrupted just before he gets to the part about killing the guy by like a stewardess and like there's like a one minute little exchange between the two of them and i fucking gritted my teeth throughout that entire exchange because it was such a good scene up to that point it was such a good like flashback it 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 you know captured the feeling of like those i remind me of like those training sequences that you would see in all those shaw brother movies uh journal boy we did watch um uh, we did do um 30 enter the 36th chamber right yes yeah, that's a clue, you know, the, all those little training montages that are such a core of, uh, you know, wuxia cinema. It, it's a callback to that. Um, and like, you know, it's dark and it, it's textured. And I, I was really getting into the story, even over voiceover. And then it interrupts for like this comic joke thing that I didn't really need. But, and, but yeah, that's just, just what it does. I mean, that that it's, and I see exactly what you're saying. And I'm going to say, like, from, like, a cinematic standpoint, I can understand exactly what you're saying every single point. But you have to suspend the disbelief because at the end of the day, we're appealing to, you know, a, an eventual theme park that's going to be created about this. You know, like, you have to have the fun. I don't um, I don't know. Um, I, 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 mm-hmm. I highly disagree with that. The the fact is, these movies, I think, should be judged as movies. They're not just, you know, pieces of a puzzle that is the MCU. These are movies. Um, when Martin Scorsese says that these are not cinema, I highly disagree. I think they are cinema. I think they should be judged as that. I don't agree with the idea that, like, we need to, well, you know, you got to have the comedy. You got to have that. CGI but, but you do because it's a comic book at the end no, of the day you, you you don't you you can you can you, you can have humor in the movie but it doesn't need to interrupt what it does right i mean shit look at the uh what's it called the dark knight trilogy which to be clear let me be clear here 
I'm not saying that it should have been dour and humorless. I don't really like dour and humorless. Above the Dark Knight trilogy, I would put Batman and Robin. I'd put Lego Batman. I'd put Batman 66. I love I love Goofy Batman. But I think those movies work within a very specific context where, like, the comedy is kind of the point. Here, the comedy isn't the point. The comedy is a distraction. Um, and, you know, it can be incorporated well. The bus scene is a comic set piece almost, you know, with, like, the guy recording it, you know, streaming for the world. And, like, it's funny. Um, and the, the beats within it are funny. And it well, doesn't detract from what's going on. One of the things I thought I, th- I mean I think I think I, I see your point in that like I I watch at your um, suggestion I watched Police Story last night the Jackie Chan movie and I one thing that was like I I really enjoyed about it was the comedy you know as someone that isn't as familiar with those movies I wasn't necessarily expecting it to that extent and it was a really genuinely funny movie I see like there's a I can kind of see what you mean in that maybe there's other ways for like humor to be worked in in a way that like isn't exactly the same way where it was worked in here there's there's space for that in these kind of movies that have that level of action they don't uh, the marvel movies they they get huge wolf formula and i think it's a formula that does work i don't even necessarily think that there shouldn't be a formula i think that a lot of people who criticize that formula often forget that you know i don't know for example i've seen so many shaw brothers movies right those movies work on a formula um, those movies have definite defined beats, personalities, this and that. You see a Chang Chao movie, you see a Lu, I, I'm sorry, I might be mispronouncing the name, Lu Chang Lu movie, and they are very similar. Um, that, that's a formula that works within the context of those movies. And like, I'm not going to, if that formula results in like a very ill-defined villain that, you know, makes me not really invested in the action, you know, we're going to say that. And I think the same is true here. If the formula results in something that is detrimental to the rhythm of the movie, you know, it's well, fair to say that. Well, you know, I, I'm curious what Maya might say to this, because I think that like, you know, I think this actually followed a formula closer to Black Widow than it did to anything that came before it. And that like one thing I told Maya when we did Black Widow was that, you know, I thought this was its, its own little formula in a bit in that like so much of the runtime, it's just a family drama almost or uh, with with some funny parts but it's like it's about that makeshift family yes and it, it shoehorns in a villain who probably not the best villain in the last half hour uh with, with that i mean I, for, I forgot what the guy's name is with the bad right i mean i, I just know I, 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 yeah i forgot the character's name i the actor and it's like yeah okay this is like a weird thing where you're just going to kind of control all these women and, and, and take over the world or whatever uh and but like i liked that it was something it felt different to me and that it was like okay this is just an interesting choice that black widow is making to not have the whole focus of the movie be fighting the big bad but just like explore some family dynamics which is kind of what it did here so in a way i think in their own ways yes they maybe they might somewhat conform to like other marvel movies in that last act but i thought you know for like two-thirds of both of their run times i do think it was experimenting with a different structure and i think it might it kind of deserves some credit for that because i enjoyed exploring those families yeah i agree and, and i think comparing it to black widow is actually really interesting because i didn't think about it in that way that you know you sort of you know introduce in both of these movies you you're kind of alluding to you know something that's going to be happening you don't address it you know head on then you go to the end and then that person has to confront whatever and then you know then essentially they're confronting themselves and by confronting themselves they end up you know unlocking something that they you know like potential that they didn't even realize that they had before and i and i like i'm i'm going to sort of you know agree that while that formula is very different narratively it's because we're also trying to you know reintroduce you know 
certain figures into a very well-beloved universe while at the same time making them feel accustomed to that universe. Now, going back to the comedy aspect, if you had him, you know, without those comedic breaks or without, you know, that, um, I'm going to say like that background in comedy, then they're just going to poke fun at him for not being, you know, for being too serious and taking things too seriously. Uh, I think that you need to sort of give him that lack of seriousness in order to make him one of the boys. Like, I know that sounds stupid, but like, that's <laughs> kind of how I felt about it. Yeah, I'm you not know, saying like, there. Yeah, like I'm not hang. saying he shouldn't have he shouldn't have made any jokes. Um, I'm just saying that the way they made the jokes, uh, certainly in that particular scene, it, it was just so apparent what it was, you know, doing. It was like, oh, we need a moment to break up this drama in order to to tell this little gag joke. But if it's screen um, tests and it works and they make somebody laugh and they have the oh shit moment, then they've done everything that they need to be doing. Mm. I don't buy like I don't I don't I don't buy into the idea that like oh well we screen test this um, the audience because that that's a co- corporatist way of approaching filmmaking that like I don't really um, I don't really view as like yeah necessary. but I don't think that there's such a thing as pure filmmaking anymore I mean like I want there to be trust me like I I took film classes you know I I watched you know even the other day you know the main actor from Breathless died and I loved that movie like I really oh yeah loved the Mondo, that movie. The Mondo. yes I have not I, seen Breathless that's the one oh my from, god uh, what's it's his amazing name? what's his name the French guy oh shit what's his name I can see yeah, I'm not going to remember right now. And you can ask Go Josh, dark. I'm terrible Go dark. with names. Good. Go yes, dark. I'm terrible yeah. with names. Like, I'll be like that person who was in that thing. You know, that's yeah, that's me. That's me. Um, it's the ADD in me. But I I think that, unfortunate, and it's an unfortunate, I'm going to say, repercussion of the industry becoming as, you know, monetized as it is, that everything has an action figure, everything has merchandise. So it needs to be appealing to a wider audience in order for it to sort of go somewhere. TV does not have that same problem. And that's kind of why TV has become in in a way more appealing because you don't need to appeal to a wider audience. You appear to a niche audience and that niche audience likes it and they want to, you know, eat it up enough that they ask for a second season. And that's how that happens. But unfortunately, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has to fall to the mouse and the mouse needs, you know, needs its payday. Is this movie going to be successful? And I think that to me, the triumph is the amount of people who thought that it would not be successful and that it would suck and that it would, you know, be falling flat in so many ways. And it did the opposite of that. To me, that's the triumph of the movie. Well, I I, I do agree with like the reality of this is how studio filmmaking is. I just I just never like giving them giving the studios the out of saying like. Well, you know, the uh, we te- we test screened it and the audiences liked it because you know sometimes you test screen something for an audience they don't like it, but it was good. Uh, you know, so I, I don't, agree. I, I don't give I agree. Actually, you said something interesting when you said mentioned TV. Uh, going back to the Black Widow, comparing to the Black Widow, I actually do agree that this does uh, inspire a lot of comparisons to Black Widow. I didn't really like Black Widow. I think it's the only Marvel movie that I've straight up just not liked, and I think a lot of it was kind of the same. Thing. I appreciated the deviations from the formula. I appreciated that so much of it was just this messy family drama. Granted, I think the stuff I liked here that was different was good. But my thing is I didn't like the family drama. I thought that it was horribly written, but I'm not going to get into all that. What I'm saying, though, is that that was another example of Marvel experimenting with the formula, doing something just a bit different, working within the while working within those confines. And I appreciate that. I want to see more of that, even if it's not very successful to me. I find that what they're doing in, on Disney Plus 
that's kind of the stuff that I kind of want to see. Have you been following all the Disney Plus? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, WandaVision, for example, the first three episodes, I think, were some of the best things the MCU have come out with. Only Maya, for them to... Maya told me it was like her favorite thing the MCU they had done in all of Marvel, basically. It's very yeah. true. So the first three episodes are brilliant. There's this, this callback to classic television. It's referencing stuff that you don't ever see referenced these days. Like, you know, Bewitched. Who references Bewitched these days? And it's, you know. Nicole you know, Kidman in that poorly made 2003 movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. But, like, you know, they're, they're doing things stylistically that are completely different than not only what's in the Marvel Universe, but within the context of television and art in general today. And I appreciated that a lot, only for it to end up, and it ultimately ended up being, like, a laser fight between the two visions and, like, Wanda and some witch lady. So, like, admittedly, um, I think that overall, I ended up liking Falcon Winter Soldier a little more than wandavision because i didn't have the expectation of like oh they're gonna do something different but like you know that move that that show did try to incorporate stuff you know some social commentary in there you know and then you have loki which is doing something very different than you know what the marvel universe had been doing previously and like i i really liked loki what about uh, what if have you seen what? that yet i've seen the first two ep first i don't know i've seen i've seen the first four episodes um oh so that's all of them right now because i think the new episode is like Wednesday. tomorrow yeah. So I've seen, yeah, I've seen it all, and like I honestly, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of well, a the animation and b the stories they're choosing to tell. I think that it suffers from just having to work within the confines, even even though it's a what if, like you know, it's a what if within the MCU. So like they're having to remix, they they have less to pull from than like the comics what if. But um, that last episode they did, I'm not going to reveal spoilers uh, for that show because, like, you know, who knows who's listening who hasn't seen the latest episode. But, like, the last episode I thought was a very fascinating self-contained mm-hmm. story that, you know, was actually also visually dynamic. And like, that is exactly the kind of thing I want to see Marvel doing, not only on the TV space, but also you know, in cinemas. I want to see that sort of experimentation and that risky storytelling. And to me, that's exactly what they are doing. And that's what they're trying to sort of have audiences warm up to. Like, you know, they're not going to just throw you into the pool. I mean, like they they did that. My argument is, and, you know, Josh knows this, they tried it with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. They realized how well that went narratively. And then they realized, oh, we can actually do this. I think that they've been planning it for a while but there was no way that they were going to actually have you know the audiences you know respond positively until they ended up you know I'm going to say testing it to something like Spider-Verse which to me if if they were able to do that successfully and execute that in a way where you introduce you know in, in this case a bunch of new characters that you know people had no contacts for but are you know within the same realm of you know the universe and you can do that with anything so like you know coming to like what if every single one of these marvel shows is lending itself to a new movie that's coming out or a new you know i'm say like splinter um potentially we don't know where they're going with this i i personally believe that every single movie that's going to be coming out is some splinter of the multiverse um that they're going to have to you know weave into each other and maybe like shang chi ends up you know finding its way in there that we don't know like what the where the mythos leads us um, and, w- and we just have to wait and find out. But I think that if you're able to at least get people, you know, warm, it's better than, you know, back in, you know, like, I'm going to say, like, from a personal standpoint, back in the early 2000s, where I read comic books, and people thought that was dumb. 
you know, now you're in a, in a situation where you need to appeal to people who still kind of think that in the back of their head, but they're going to watch it anyway, because it's a money grab and it's going to be, you know, interesting in some way, shape or form. No, well, I, I, I hate to, I didn't want to feel bad interrupting your back and forth, but she meant, she mentioned everything being going forward, being like a different, something splintered off uh, within the multiverse. Uh, my friends, Kayla and Monique, who I saw the movie with, they noted in the, in the first post credit scene, how uh, Bruce was no longer Banner Hulk and yeah. how Captain, Captain Marvel had long hair. Do you think yeah. that was some, supposed to be some kind of tell? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I thought that was intentionally done. I also think that he wanted to bring in Brie Larson because, you know, she was in all of her, all his, his movies. other movies. Yeah. So admittedly, I think I, I think the tell is that they just didn't want to spend money, you know, modeling the Hulk again. And they just <laughs> show up. Like, I think that's ultimately what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, well, he was wearing a sling. So it was definitely after um, he used the um, the Infinity Gauntlet and Snap. So it's yeah, I mean, yeah, still this is, injured. This movie, this, this movie takes place five years after, you know, the events of Endgame. Because uh, they, they do reference it in part. Infinity like they, Wars. Um, yeah, well, yeah, no, five years after Endgame. I don't know if it's actually a oh, no, I'm sorry, no, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I meant to say five years after Infinity War because of the time jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Five years after Infinity War because, you know, they, they're mentioning, like, yeah, you know, weirder things that, when the they're talking about, like, yeah. When they're talking about like, uh, you know, the universe, like at any moment, half the world could disappear. Like, yeah, um, honestly, that's the kind of stuff that I like um, when I watch these movies, because like, you know, it it, it reminds you of the fact that uh, this is a world where like, and honestly, I think I want to see that more from the MCU, how, you know, the actions of these characters affect the world, you know, writ large. How do they affect the world around them? You know, one of my favorite. Have you read um, Marvel's? The uh, mm. graphic novel from like ninety. No, I want to though. Yeah, that's a. I have it on my shelf here over somewhere. But like, yeah, that's a great um, work because like you know it's a it's a a retelling of the history of Marvel from like the you know the you know premiere of the Human Torch you know the nineteen forties Human Torch to like you know up through then current Dark Age comics and like from the perspective of like just a civilian living within the Marvel universe. I think that what these movies as adaptation, I think these movies are sh- good adaptations of the comic universe. I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge comic guy, to be clear, but like these are comic book movies. And I think that these movies are generally pretty good at adapting this stuff. But um, one thing I think that the Marvel MCU in particular has lost is um, their place in the world. Like these are superheroes, but they don't, they don't feel super heroic. They don't, we don't see them saving people as a matter of course, in their movies um usually it's like a chase to go stop the villain sure because he might hurt people that's but, because um, of the sokovia accords though there's there's yeah. literal like reason for it well what i mean to say is textually like when you watch these movies um there's not a lot of you know like when you watch the raimi spider-man he runs into a burning building to save a baby right and that's its own set piece that's its own emotional little mini arc within it you don't really get that a lot in modern superhero movies uh i think one of the the best examples of that in recent years a movie that i'm not a huge fan of is uh wonder woman wonder woman 84 like yeah, you know yeah. you have that like great. you have you know you have like for example that white house fight scene where yeah she's stopping the villain but she's also you have beats within the action where she's deliberately trying to preserve the lives of the you know white house staff of the secret service people you miss that a lot in a lot of these movies. I'm sorry, we went. I, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but uh, what I mean to say, though, ultimately, is that I do want these movies to still, you know, I think that these movies do 
gain something by being part of a larger whole, but they need to be incorporated within that larger whole in a way that enhances the work within itself. Um, and, uh, you know, I, w- I wish Shang-Chi did that a little bit more. I think that the references to the larger world ultimately end up being either, you know, if they're not actually detrimental, they end up being kind of feeling like nothing, with the exception Which of... Which I think is fine. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't know. Like, I, I have, my time is valuable. I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to have to sit through a movie that is just like, well, you know, hey, it'll... This will pay off two movies from now, three movies from now. I don't know that I've, that, that that makes it me feel better watching the movie today. That Listen, being said, that Kevin, being said, yeah. No, continue, continue. Wong, Wong singing Kotel California. I'm into that. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say Kevin Feige has you in the bag because at the end of the day, you there is something in the back of your head that wants you to want this to work out in the end. Yeah, yeah I, I like these. I like superhero shit. I like superheroes. I'm, I'm, I don't know. After, after after this podcast, I don't know. If Maya believes you, but <laughs> no. Look, you, you should you should look through my uh my top my 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 Marvel ranking because that'll convince you. I'm into this stuff. I like superheroes. I want more superhero movies. I get annoyed when I talk to people who are just flatly like, "Oh, this is just a joke. This isn't cinema." The <laughs> reason Brown. I'm so Josh critical Brown. is because I think these should be looked at as you know works of art within themselves i'm just not willing to give it a pass because of you know whatever obligations uh the producers feel they might have to like you know the bottom line sure uh maya any final things about saint shane chi we didn't touch on that you wanted to at least shout out i mean uh again the movie tried to do a lot i feel like you fairly well covered it but there was anything else you wanted to touch on that i didn't ask you about Again, that the one thing that I feel like, you know, to wrap everything up with a bow is I came away from this movie. Oh, and I actually, you know what? There is one more thing that I want to say. Ha ha. Yeah. Um, so I watched this movie at a drive-in theater. And I'm going to say from a standpoint of if you want to have, you know, a nice socially distant activity, you know, the drive-in theaters are still open. You can bring your own meal. I made a full dinner. Um, I put them in Tupperware, brought it in, uh, wore sweatpants, and I had a great time. For $7. Um, so I, I think that, you know, drive-in theaters don't get enough credit for that because, you know, it is a fun family activity. Um, at the end of the day, I kind of wish that I had, you know, the ability to see this, you know, in a giant IMAX with, you know, the, the Dolby Atmos. I did. Um, because, And I will be seeing this movie again when it comes, you know, to streaming because I do have a Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos TV. Because if I don't mention that, my boyfriend, you know, might hear me in the other room and be like, did you mention the Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos? You guys are fancy. Tell Dustin we get it. You're very fancy. (laughs) It's not that we're fancy. It's that we've been, you know, dealing just fine, you know. And, and, you know, you have to talk about the fact that, you know, the film industry has been struggling so much since this pandemic. And, you know, it's been very easy for us to just been sitting at home in the comfort, you know, of our own space and our own, you know, air um, watching these movies, you know. And to me, it felt like I wasn't missing a beat. Um, and when I went to see it at the drive-in, I, I did feel like I was missing that, like, I'm seeing a Marvel movie. I don't have the audience clamoring with me. I don't have, you know, I've missed no, that. You, you missed everyone yelling obnoxiously and clapping when they saw Wong or something like that, you know? Yeah, but I will say that I had enough, you know, oh shit moments in the car where, like, if someone heard me in the car, you know, next 
text. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. So I felt like I was, you know, able to, you know, exclaim in my own space. But, you know, realistically speaking, that was the one movie that I wish that I, I either and I wasn't going to do it because I wanted to do this podcast. I either waited until it came direct to streaming or, you know, sucked it up and triple masked and watched it in a movie theater at like 2 p.m. on a Thursday. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I guess today would have been the day to do that. You had offer you had offer Rosh Hashanah, but you uh, whoop, whoop. You, 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 you powered through for the um, through the drive through anyway, which I, I, I would second. I, I It's been almost a year since I saw Tenet in a drive through. And I if it had been any movie other than Tenet, I think I would have like had a great time. But like to see it in a drive through when it's already something that's hard to hear, that's eh, a little tough. But like yeah. if you it, it's it's really cool if you happen to live near one of those to be able to support them. I was going to say one last thing. And I, and I came away from that movie saying, no, that was a good movie. It had a nice beginning. It had a nice middle. It had a nice and I liked it. That was it. That was what I came away with. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Daniel, any other final thoughts from you on Shang-Chi now that we've like uh, talked you into hating it? <laughs> I still don't hate it. I still think that this is a good movie. I think that it introduces it, – it, it teases a world where a Marvel movie um, escapes the formula – pulls in cinematic influences from elsewhere. You know, this is pulling from all sorts of Hong Kong cinema, not only martial arts movies, but also like, you know, the Hong Kong crime movies that I'm not as familiar with, but, um, you know, clearly it's there with the Tony Lung character. It does a lot that I like and enough that like, I ultimately like it, but not without major caveats. I want them to escape the need to hew to this formula entirely because I do think that at this point, 10 years out from, you know, or at this point, like, what, 13 years out from the first Iron Man, um, I think that the studio has earned enough cachet to kind of do what they want and people will come. So I, I just want that. And also, I just want to point out, um, I forgot we didn't address, go back to this. Um, at the end of the day, is a girl learning how to shoot an arrow accurately in a day <laughs> any more unbelievable than the dragons? Um, and also, yeah, like, you know, also kind of, it, also, it also is very much in keeping with like when you watch these old martial art movies, you know, you get some guy show up and learn Kung Fu in a week and it's like, wow, he's a master. He's like a prodigy, you know, so it makes a certain sort of sense within that that context. Um, yeah, I just want just want i just want better for the mcu man i want better for the mcu this does point to a bit of a brighter future but um i just i just need them to be more willing to deviate yeah all right fair enough i i'll, I'll say since i i still really like the movie i'm very happy for my guy dust uh, i'm very happy for my guy destin who i was a little worried about it given the other kinds of movies he made before a lot of times these indie directors get put from obscurity to direct these kind of movies but they're often guys that have at least directed something that has like a little more action in it than any of his previous movies so uh obviously he got surrounded by a lot of very talented choreographers and all that but it's still cool that he he pulled this off and obviously it's unsurprising he handled the family stuff really well but it's just really kick-ass action you know i was a little worried daniel because i hadn't watched police story yet at the time and didn't understand that as a reference point i was just thinking when we saw that that bus scene i was like oh well daniel and i like four months ago just talked about a, bu a kick-ass bus scene in the movie nobody and uh this one like i mean which was a really good scene but like this kind of like far exceeded that because in the ways it went outside the bus and this movie had like you I'm, know, I'm, a, I'm i'm like divided on which one i prefer because really? while this one does incorporate like some good stuff outside the bus honestly like you know there is still like a a decent amount of like you know the green screen sort of thing like you know that like i'm not a huge 
you know, it takes me out of it just a hair versus like the nobody fight scene in which it is just so it's just so present, like, you know, in that moment, you know, it's so brutal. So um, and also, you know, it has a bunch of people that I recognize within that fight. So like, you know, stuntmen and such, you know, Elaine Moosey, the star of like Kickboxer Vengeance. So like I'm, I'm divided on which one. They both take different approaches in their action. This one's far more Eastern influenced. And I like them both about the same. Okay, fair, fair enough. I was just like glad that like this this found a way to at least distinguish itself from that one. And oh, yeah, you know absolutely. the absolutely. you know the the this this the the skyscraper scene was also like uh was pretty great. And um they 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 just did a lot of cool different things that felt very distinct from other Marvel movies. Which you know I like a lot of these. I like most of these movies, but you can't argue with people that like say they they follow like a formula. And some of them feel pretty similar. And at least this one found one way to distinguish itself. And I really enjoyed like most of these performances too. I feel like we didn't probably talk about Michelle Yeoh enough, who is obviously no stranger to you know a a, a lot of this a, a lot some of the cinema that this is drawing from. And she oh, yeah, made a, she queen shit queen shit yeah well, she she's she one shit. of the greatest yeah. action stars ever. And she just makes an incredible impression in like a short amount of time, and like they they make really good use of like most of these performers. And I just I, I I'm glad I'm glad the movie was as, as I'm glad that I found the movie as good as it was because you know I was a little worried too. Maya, uh, before we sign off, anything else you've been watching recently that you wanted to shout out as we normally ask you? So there's two things that I'm watching recently. I don't know if I mentioned this the last time, but I've started watching. Well, I'm actually almost done with Jane the Virgin. Um, and if you have like, I mean, if you're like me and that, uh, you know, you have always wanted to watch, you know, like a, get, really get into like a, a telenovela, um, that is not going to be what you're asking for, but it's going to be what you get and it's great. And you, you can watch it for a nice, you know, five, six seasons and, you know, laugh your ass off the entire time. So there's that. And then there was new show came out only murders in the building. I, you know, I feel like, you know, people got, you know, drunk in a room is like, all right, let's bring back Martin short and uh, Steve Martin. And who else we're going to get? Like what's the most outlandish character that we could get Selena Gomez. And so they did. And it's actually pretty good. So those are my recommendations. There you go. Uh, Daniel, uh, if people can go back to our Kung Fu episode to hear you rattle off like 10 minutes worth of Kung Fu movies. So, but I mean, is there, if, if there's something, if there's something in that, in, in that realm that like, you know, this movie specifically draw from you want to direct people to or anything else you've been watching now's the time to say it. Yeah, I actually, I, I might've had a couple in mind. Um, so <laughs> like, like I said, the action is very influenced by Yen Wu Ping, very wire, wire Fu is the, you know, the, the style of like very intricate wire work, you know, where everything's very exaggerated and such. Um, the way the, even the camera moves, low angles, you know, what's it called? Wide angle lenses. It's very Yen Wu Ping influenced. Personally, I would recommend uh, Wing Chun, which was a movie that he did with uh, uh, Michelle Yeoh, actually, back in, like, the 90s. Mm. You know, of course, there's Crouching Tiger. You know, everyone knows Crouching Tiger. I My personal favorite movie he's directed, I believe, is going to be The Miracle Fighters, which is absolutely, completely different. There are, like, these are, like, kung fu artists that have learned to, like, detach their own heads and such. Very fantasy. Um, but I've, and, you know, very more influenced by, like, the old Shaw Brothers style. But I thought it was actually quite wonderful itself. Um, Jackie Chan, you know, like I said, police story you can find on, I think, HBO Max, you said, you know, has one of the greatest fights that that ending. fight. we're talking about the bus fight, which is, you know, clearly referenced, directly referenced here. But like that mall fight is one of the greatest actions. It might be the greatest action set piece ever made. 
for Michelle Yeoh, you know, Gwing Chun, but also Yes, Madam was really great. That's a Cynthia Rothrock movie um, in which they're both kind of underserved, but, you know, still really, really superb action. It really cements why she was so legendary back in like the 80s, 90s and Magnificent Warriors, which was her kind of like Indiana Jones uh, thing. And finally, I, I, I'm sorry, one more, one more. Uh, mm-hmm. A Better Tomorrow. I'm not a huge, I'm not really so well schooled on like the Hong Kong like crime cinema with triads and like dual loyalties and this and that. But, you know, John Woo's a master of that. And that one specifically deals with like extra- estranged siblings, you know, living on opposite sides of the law. And uh, personally, I think that um, you know, people say that like, oh, The Killer's his best movie or no, Hard Boiled is his best movie. That one, I think, kind of edges them out simply because it's so good with the action and the drama whereas the other two kind of are far better with one than the other so you know a better tomorrow i think most of these movies you can just find on youtube floating around but yeah you know lots of influences to draw from here lots of stuff to explore if you're willing yeah i i'll second police story i watched that last night it was just a delight i guess my i'll have like one of my more esoteric recommendations because uh as i mentioned last week on our podcast on a net with our friend ben uh ben already put in the request to be on the podcast for bergman island which is coming out later this year and sounds like that yeah and i never i've never watched an ingmar bergman movie before a week ago so yeah so i told ben what you watch I so I told Ben I I mean I, I still have more I'm gonna watch but over the weekend I watched uh I watched both uh Summer with Monica and The Seventh Seal I so in I I probably preferred Summer with Monica which Ben said is barely a Bergman movie but he still recommended I watch it uh so I, I really dug it it was a you know I mean you know just a Swedish movie about a, a a couple that has a summer of love when they're still very young and it you know you get to watch the disintegration of that relationship you know youth's wasted on the young that kind of thing and it's uh it, it gets this point across and I, I I found it pretty moving and uh seven of the seal has a lot more going on a lot of questions about life and death and it's very heavy and a lot to process and i'm probably still thinking about it but i what i learned when actually kind of going through those movies and seeing which ones i should watch and looking up the recommendations ben has been making for me uh they're largely available on criterion and some of them are on hbo max too so i mean if if you feel like hey i've heard of that ingmar bergman guy and i just you know i never really did a good job of like actually going and like seeing his movies but you want to be able to see this movie that's coming out later this year uh bergman island uh and kind of have an, a little bit of an idea because that is going to be referencing a lot of his work because it's a movie about you know creative people that are trying to go be inspired by him uh you should go seek out some of his movies because I, I could already tell even though i've only watched those two that i think they're definitely worth watching and you can probably get a lot out of them so that's what that's what that's what i'm gonna say uh maya uh, uh, daniel doesn't usually plug any social media do you want to plug your letterbox or anything like that me no, I was talking to Daniel. I was saying Maya doesn't normally plug any social media, so I was asking Daniel if you wanted oh, to Oh, my bad. I thought you were letter- saying that I don't plug my social media. I was like, wait, I normally give my letterbox. Oh, no, I have, yeah. I have no social media. Yeah, my, you should get a letterbox. You should get a letterbox. I, I need no – Just this is this is my, like, nice little break from my normal life, and my normal life involves nothing but work and studying. So this is – I am a ghost outside of that. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. But it'd be she, nice, she, it'd be she, nice she, to be able to – she spreads the podcast by word of mouth, though. Oh, fair enough. But, like, it'd be nice to be able to go see what you're watching. But um, for me, you know, Letterboxd, Felonious Funk. Um, oh, uh, I like the name. So, thank you. I appreciate that. I love Felonious. So, you know, made a certain sort of sense. Uh, Journal Boy, uh, Wild Strawberries. 
Well, no, Ben said it. Ben, I, according to Ben, I got to work my way to that, you know. So I got to watch a few others. Fuck Ben. Fuck Ben. <laughs> Wild strawberries. That's by far my favorite. Um, uh, scenes from a marriage. It's it's literally they're they're coming out with the, the remake. Yeah, I, I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch uh, Persona, Wild Strawberries, and Scenes from a Marriage because because I need to like you know I want to see that before I watch this Oscar Isaac Jessica Chastain thing that's coming to HBO. Uh, mm-hmm. So I got the I got those three and there's one other early one that I think Ben recommended. So I'm gonna I'm not gonna be a Bergman expert, but I'll at least like you know have more reference points by the time I try and match wits with Ben uh, talking about a whole movie that just apparently references Ingmar Bergman the whole time. So that's pretty uh, intimidating, but that's something you, we have we have to look forward to at some point later this year though it's going to get a limited release so i don't know when i'll ever a- actually get to see it uh you invite me on for that one you know, I'll, I'll give that i'll give i'll give ben a stroke i will yeah, give ben a stroke talk about that yeah you know I, I i would like to see how he would uh he, you know respond to you just like taking all these crazy stances because maya handled it certainly uh pretty well so as usual uh thanks to everyone for listening thanks to maya and daniel for joining maya will be back at the latest uh the the second week in november to talk about eternals i'm sure daniel will put in requests to talk about like a bunch of movies between uh now and the end of the year we just haven't really discussed a lot of what's coming yet so i'm sure he has some stuff in mind so you can you'll hear more from him before the end of the year oh um for this week actually if you want to do Kate or Malignant, I'm I, don't know, I don't know what that is. Kate uh, is the uh, the movie for the new movie uh, produced by 8711 or whatever they're called now. The guys uh, behind uh, John Wick, um, the uh, what's it? David Leach's company. And oh, then okay. that's a Netflix. That's a Netflix movie. And 87 North is what they're called now. And then Malignant is the new movie from James Wan. I'm surprised oh. this escaped your radar. Um, yeah. yeah, this is a uh, this is you know. Um, you know, a Warner Brothers movie, a studio film. It looks really great. It looks like it's, you know, harkening back to like classic 80s horror. Like the title font is clearly referencing like, you know, old Stephen King novels and shit. So like I'm I'm excited for Malignant. That one looks like it's going to be real good. OK, no reviews yet, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye out. And I didn't realize Here's that was the I, title I, font for you. So you can look looks, at it. Yeah. OK. Yeah. OK. I, 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 yeah. Man, the trailer's got me pumped. All right, yeah, so I'll keep that on my radar. Uh, We'll see on that. But again, uh, thanks to Maya and Daniel for joining. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.